0: Hello everyone! We just wanted to let you know that this was originally recorded as a three-person show, but unfortunately we lost Pablo's audio. We took the time to recut the audio we had from Andrew and myself because we felt like we still had a lot of good content to offer. We thoroughly enjoyed making this episode and we wanted to be able to share it with you in whatever form that we could. So, uh, since we had to cut around some of the conversations and references, there may be some odd audio fragments, or this could all be us just worrying too much, and you may not notice a single thing is different. Um... You know, if if we hadn't mentioned it, maybe you just thought it was a two-person show to start with. But either way, uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to episode five of Cinema Rogues. Um, this is your host Guy. Uh, I'm joined by, uh, well, co-host this time, host last time, Andrew Derry. Hello, uh, welcome, welcome to uh, to episode five. We we have made it around to, uh, to to my pick again, and and I decided to pick uh, the direct the directorial movies of Christopher Nolan. Uh, the movies specifically that he has directed that have hit theaters. Uh, we even went back to movies that didn't hit U.S. theaters, as far as I'm aware. I mean, I don't. Think,
1: uh, yeah, I don't think his first movie was
0: in theaters, even in England. Yeah. Well, I got a UK release date on it. I assumed it came out there for a minute, but maybe it didn't. I don't know.
1: I don't know either. I didn't research that that much
0: into it because
1: it was. We'll get into it.
0: before we get on yeah into all that a little bit of housekeeping um if you want to hear more andrew and you're super bored and at home or you know what those should be ors, not ands only if you're super
1: bored (laughs) only
0: if you got shit to do don't worry about Andrew. don't listen to me no it's not listen to his podcast you know i don't want
1: to i don't want to undersell myself
0: but it's it's okay Wasn't your newest episode about what to do or how board games have gotten better over the years, or some such?
1: Nope, our last episode was about uh, digital board gaming during the quarantine or quarantine options for board gaming.
0: That's right. That's why it stuck in my head as an improvement because you know, twenty years ago, if there was a quarantine, (laughs) you'd be like, "Hey, friends, let me call you on my landline." (laughs) I thought you meant an improvement of my show. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you're sh- <laughs> That's why it was an
1: improvement because your other episodes sucked.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I I hate to tell you the hard truth live it's okay. while you're recording. You know, show.
1: at least e- I can't get mad at you right now because we're recording. So <laughs> it's the best way to do it.
0: So check out board bar- board game barbarians, uh <laughs> dot com for for more information uh, and and download links, and you can go uh, enjoy the the sultry tones of Andrew some more. Ah. Um, uh. Oh. I have been recording Final Fantasy VII Remake for for YouTube for my YouTube channel. So. How's that going? Uh, it's going good. Um, it's I am up into I guess spoilers if you haven't played the original Final Fantasy VII, but almost up to like the Wall Market area. I haven't uh, played Final Fantasy VII where where Cloud does this cross dressing thing. But uh, you guys can check out my videos of Final Fantasy VII Remake on YouTube, Sightail Studios. Um, and then if you found this link, you're probably a Retro Warriors listener already. But if, uh, if not, please go check out Retro Warriors. That is the main show. That is where you'll hear the actual funny people. Okay, thanks.
1: Hey, I do a whole show with Justin where we just talk
0: about nothing, and it's terrible. <laughs> Dude, I'm so behind on talking wizards right now. I, I don't drive anywhere anymore.
1: Yeah, I haven't listened to a single podcast since I've been home. I've, I've I I forcefully had to listen to mine while I edited it.
0: <laughs> I I saw it chapter two, uh, finally. Found, you know what? I finally saw that movie. But my favorite thing about that movie is that beso- behind the scenes picture of Bill Hader just like hauling ass away from uh, from Bill Skarsgård because he didn't know he could do that I thing for real. Yep.
1: I uh, still have yet to see that. My wife keeps every time my wife pitches it. It's right before we go to bed, and I don't do well with scary <laughs> movies right before going to bed. Um, so uh, I just keep saying no. I I recently saw The Rock, class nice. classic film with Nick Cage and Sean Connery. Um, yeah, I mean, what what more can I say besides that? Who directed it?
0: Do you know? Michael Bay. It was Michael Bay. But let's get into the topic. Let's get into this week's topic. Um, we've got. Uh, I guess we did. We talked about it at the beginning. I, was, I don't know why it's, it seems like it's a surprise, but whatever. Um, we we're talking about Christopher Nolan uh, and and the movies that he is. Directing. All of
1: his movies.
0: Uh, all of his movies, which is so many movies, and we I, at this point I don't know why we did this. I thought it was a great idea, and now I'm like, what? What did we just bite off? Um, but let's get into it. I mean, why not? We're here. I, I thought um, it was a so. great
1: idea too until I had to actually start watching them.
0: Not that they're bad. <laughs> it's
1: just that I the amount of movies I had to watch. Uh,
0: so I guess uh I guess just generally speaking about Christopher Nolan. Um uh personally for me, he's 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 a top five director. Um currently I would say he's probably my favorite active director somebody who's currently releasing movies every 2 to 3 years, you know. Um I, 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 I don't know. I Christopher Nolan's movies have been such an integral part of my growing up uh, or uh, adult world, I guess, that it se- it seems just really connected to 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 me. But yeah. I I don't know.
1: I would say, uh, Christopher Nolan has been my favorite director for a very long time. I think the only person, there's two other directors that come close and are fighting, I would say he's like top three for me. It's, uh, him, uh, Edgar Wright, and James Gunn are probably constantly fighting for my, my favorite director. And, and actually, no, sorry, Tycho TD has now wiggled his way, wiggled his way in the past like four years into that spot. Um, yeah i i still would just call him the i would say he is the current greatest living storyteller um of our time our generation okay i think all but one of his movies was written by him on our list i mean granted his brother his his brother wrote half of them with him and i do honestly believe his brother's a much better writer than he is um but I still appreciate his contribution. I think what he does is he writes the story and his brother's like, People don't talk like that, so I'm gonna write it to where people would <laughs> talk
0: like in real life. Did you watch um that series that Jonathan Nolan uh wrote or developed uh, with uh with Jesus and Ben from Lost? And about the computer. What is the sh It's on CBS? What shit I don't know. Uh it's about it was about a supercomputer that spit out a social security number and then they had to go figure out how to help that person with the social security number. No. Um and it was it was like this big sur- uh, AI surveillance thing. I have no idea what you're talking about. Person of interest. No, I've never even heard of that show. Really?
1: Yeah. But uh I, I appreciate Jonathan Nolan's writing style. Um
0: Um I watched I watched the first season of it. Yeah, it was pretty good. Um but it's it's a uh, Jonathan Nolan uh re- well uh, created show um but i i I don't know if you haven't seen it then whatever i'll talk about it i just thought that maybe you had being such a christopher nolan fan i
1: mean i'm a christopher nolan fan and i'm a jonathan nolan fan as far as christopher nolan movies are concerned in Westworld. but i i appreciate him because i'm pretty sure from everything i've seen from watching these movies i'm pretty sure that jonathan nolan is the one that takes some of the story and goes that no one talks like that what are you doing like, you robot, like, stop it. Um, I, don't know. I think he's an artist. He's a master craftsman of storytelling, not just through writing scripts, but through actually telling the story through the camera. The camera, in most, like, film classes, they'll teach you that the camera itself is what tells the story, and it's also a character in its own right. Um, mm-hmm. And I think Christopher Nolan does a great job of actually wrapping you into the story and in many instances, making you as confused as the characters, um, that are, that are, that it's portraying. Um, but yeah, I, I I think the thing I most appreciate him for is his dedication to practical effects, um, and using them when he is able to and allowed to instead of using digital effects.
0: You know, one of the things that really, uh, gave me a lot of, uh, I guess extra respect for, for Christopher Nolan, um, was in the in the you know mid aughts to mid teens the 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 trend of 3D movies. Uh, he very much said no, I'm not doing that.
1: He'll do yeah. He'll do IMAX, and I think he does IMAX on most of his stuff if he can. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> which I don't know if you. I know we're not there yet. I'm just gonna kind of bring it up because it's on my mind. Sure. Um, have you watched the behind-the-scenes stuff of uh, his latest movie Dunkirk? Uh,
0: no, no, I haven't watched it.
1: So, a lot of that movie was shot in uh, IMAX. Do you know what the cameras look like for IMAX? Yeah, yeah, the giant fucking cameras. They're giant fucking cameras. And he had one of his camera guys who shoulder-cammed a majority of that movie, um, in water. Who <laughs> no. for for dunkirk so i mean like the dedication that he puts in and you know it just shows the amount of influence he has on uh on other people or the amount of respect that he garnishes from other people that they're willing to uh, in this instance almost literally break their back holding a like 200 pound camera or whatever on their shoulder um is is just insane and I, I think he's, as long as he's going to make movies, I'm going to watch him unless he becomes uh, Kevin Smith. And then in that case, I won't.
0: Yeah, I think if I remember the story right, uh, during uh, the Dark Knight Rises, or excuse me, the Dark Knight filming, they had three IMAX cameras and he broke one of them. Probably. Yeah, like three in like three in the world or some shit, and he broke one of yeah.
1: them. Yeah, I, I wouldn't put it past him, you know, I think that's... <laughs> I feel like uh if that's what he needs to do to to make his movies, I don't care. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's not my money.
0: Well, um I, I guess to give our listeners an idea um of of what went into the show, Andrew actually tried to watch all the movies uh at one point and, and eventually gave up. But
1: uh I got through uh I got through quite a bit. I watched the only two movies actually that I didn't watch. This last two weeks hmm. was Batman Begins, uh, Dark Knight Rises and Dunkirk. And that's just because I've seen the Batman Begins like honestly, like 10 times. It feels like a million, but uh, anytime it's on TV, I've seen, I have, I've owned it on DVD, I own it digitally, I own it everywhere. Uh, Dark Knight Rises, I've seen a bunch of times in Dunkirk. I saw three or four times last year. So
0: see, I've only seen it th- quite twice, but yeah.
1: Yeah, I don't think I need to, I didn't think I needed to do another viewing. Granted, uh, The Prestige was my favorite movie for probably eight years, so I've seen that movie at least once a year for eight years, if not
0: more. Well, why don't you I tell saw... us about the first movie that you had the pleasure oh, pleasure of experiencing in Christopher <laughs> Holmes' filmography?
1: I do want to uh, put the spoiler warning in there. Um, for most of these movies we're going to spoil them just because for one the following is from 1999 if you haven't seen it yet it's over 20 years old at this point um, sorry yeah I mean Matrix is much better than this movie <laughs> um, much more interesting so the following tells the story of a young out of work student who wants to be a writer following Peter for character studies so he's just following people around the city of London um, trying to create characters for his work um he ends up following a burglar who teaches him the ways of burgling and then gets him into a heap of trouble and blames him for two murders at the end of the movie or he takes the blame for two murders when he's only done one um this movie was a little bit hard to watch it was as far as i could tell besides like two short stories which i did not watch because i don't think i tried to find them um nor 100% i didn't try to find them. <laughs> but um it it sounds like i don't know if you've ever taken a an acting class uh no um so i took i took one acting class in college for acting for the camera and this movie 100% reminded me of the the basically the project we had to do where you have to do a monologue everyone in this movie talks like they're doing a college acting class monologue all of the time <laughs> so it's done like kind of rigidly the actors in this movie i looked it up uh there's the two the the woman and the main character uh were in a couple other christopher nolan films as background characters mm-hmm. um later on like a waitress that kind of thing um, and that's the
0: main sorry i was just gonna say and that's the ahead. thing that christopher nolan does throughout his filmography is have he he, he works with familiar people Right.
1: Well, I mean, and I think that's normal for a lot of directors is to find actors that you like working with and you work with well. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's honest for for most things. Like, if you find someone that you work with well, then why the hell not work with them in the future? But I feel like in this instance, because they didn't show up again until, like, Batman Begins, mm-hmm. um, he kind of just threw them in there to throw them a bone because they're not great actors. Um, I felt the greatest, the, the best actor of it was the burglar and he's never acted again that's the only movie he's ever done. I I said it, it this is his first movie he wrote also like feature length that's on IMDb that I can tell. Mm-hmm. Um it, it's written like someone is trying to have a conversation with themselves. Um which is a mistake of first writing. I mean I I think a lot of it like the movie the movie has instances where I feel like it's purposely directed in a out-of-pace uh, out, out of pace manner. Mm-hmm. So it feels like it's supposed to be paced incorrectly. But there are scenes where the scenes themselves, like the total scene is paced strangely. Um, positive notes, the music was done well. I think Chris Renolan has had that held down from the, from the get-go. He knows how to um, thematically put music into his films and make it work um and obviously i think it was directed well but yeah just writing and story was not it was kind of boring to be perfectly honest it's it's not a um it's not an interesting film to watch <laughs> i give it a if, if we i don't i don't think we want to i don't know if we're doing ratings i think in this instance since we're doing multiple of the same director um i'm gonna actually give it like a rating i would say it's like a six or 7 i I'd say a six out of ten
0: okay well <clears throat> luckily um he improved from there uh his next next release was memento um memento for me um and, and i think uh well hold on we'll talk about this in a sec Memento, for those that haven't seen it, uh, is a is, uh, stars Guy Pierce as a man who, as a result of an of an accident, uh he has anterograde antrograde amnesia. He basically he can't form new memories. Um, and then he loses his memory, uh uh his short term memory resets about every 30 seconds or so. Um he's looking for the man who killed his wife and uh injured him, giving him this condition. And, uh, that, that is, that is basically the, the story of the movie is his hunt for this, this killer who, who, uh, you know, messed up his life. Released in, uh, March, on March 16th of 2001, starring Guy Pearce, Carrie Ann Moss and Joe Pantoliano. Um, this is a movie that I saw before I knew who Christopher Nolan was. Um, you know, clearly, clearly his first release did not make an impact on pretty much anyone. Um, but this was, uh, one of the first DVDs that, that my girlfriend back in college had owned. Um, so we had a choice between like that and the cell, you know, to watch literally every day.
1: I would say for, from like when I was in high school, it was like this movie and Donna, Donnie Darko are going to blow your mind Like <laughs> in high school. back. In the day.
0: See, 2001, I was in college for my, like my second year. So I don't know. We, we had that and then we had dazed and confused. So, um, <laughs> I don't know, dude. It, it blew me away. Uh, just the way that the story is told in that movie, uh, the way that the information is slowly re- revealed, um, just begs you for a rewatch. Um, and I and I'm a person that likes to rewatch things anyway. So to know going into a rewatch that there is stuff that I missed the first time, uh, it just makes me want to watch it all the more. And, and just, um,
1: it's still a three act structure, hmm. but I agree with. You agree with you a hundred percent like it was a when i saw it it was like oh this is a new way to do filmmaking that i don't think anyone has yet to do also because there hasn't really been a story that justifies doing it but it was such a an interesting way to make the movie and an interesting way to tell the story because that's the reason why it's done for me is to is to keep it, it's the only way to make that movie and keep the audience as confused as the main character is throughout the entire film. Yeah. Only at the end, do you have the full piece, but he still doesn't.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and that's the, the story is told, uh, not, not only are the color segments in, in reverse order, um, but the story is told from the outsides in, right? Um, from from a from a time perspective, like you the the, the the movie ends in the middle of the story
1: I mean technically the movie ends at the beginning
0: no 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 because no. all the black and white scenes are the are the the lead up to the color scenes, so they merge at the very well, end of it so if, if you 're taking the movie's timeline as a whole, you split it in half and fold it in on itself, and that 's how the movie's structured.
1: I mean, the end scene is the end scene, like the, the beginning scene of the movie is the end scene of the movie.
0: Right. But it's the middle of the story. To me, this is the first introduction of the theme of a story in a story. Right. And and that's a theme that that will crop up again in later movies. Yeah.
1: I yeah, I mean, for this is the the same with the last movie, the following Christopher Nolan has that that's kind of one of his signatures is starting at the end or starting at close to the end in some cases and then building back up to that point. Right. Um And I, I would say this movie after, cause I watched the following and then I watched the, I watched this movie Memento uh day after each other. So I watched following one night and the Memento the other night and Memento honestly felt like, a more polished version of the following um, different story, obviously s- still some similarities. Um, writing was better, but also still felt kind of college. And there's a lot of uh, college. Um, what is the word Jesus monologue throughout this whole movie? A lot of things that you could do, do with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, like it, it just felt like a more polished version of that. I would say it's still a, a wonderfully crafted film. And when I was younger, I think it was more impressionable than it was now, but I kind of forgot about it until you said, Hey, let's do Christopher Nolan. And I was like, Oh yeah. Memento was one of his movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I- like I forgot that it was one of those until we were doing this.
0: Well, okay. And, and, uh, well, and let's go back to the story structure. Just, just, uh, just a little bit. The, the color scenes, um, it, Again, if you haven't seen this movie, then then it kind of sounds like they they run backwards and they don't run backwards. It's not that's what we mean by backwards. It's the the, each color scene that that takes place in chronological uh, in in the chronology of the movie, the the color scene ends. uh, Or excuse me, the color scene begins where the previous one ended. Am I describing that accurately? So sort I mean, so there's honestly the movie works backwards the entire time. Well, except that the black and white scenes are uh, are not moving backwards. They are forward in time. They're like one phone call, and then he meets up with, with Teddy. Yeah, so for example, in the color scene, you have the one where he's, uh, you have a scene where he's he, he wakes up from his, or, or whatever, his memory resets, and he's, he's sitting on a toilet holding a, a bottle of wine, and he's like, I don't feel drunk, right? And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. somebody like tries to break into his hotel room and he like bashes him with the fucking wine bottle. And then it cuts to a black and white scene and it comes back and it's him running through a um, uh, self, uh, self-storage lot or whatnot. And he ends that scene sitting on the toilet, you know, waiting for the person that's chasing him. Right. So.
1: Right. But um, it it's constant. It shows where he doesn't remember being and then it shows how he got there. And that's the entire movie is like, yes, I don't know how I got here. Next scene. This is how I got here. Right. I don't know how I got here. Next scene. This is how I got here. So at, and it but it works back from the front. Right. So like as it's a you backwards, progress, backwards storytelling.
0: Right. So as you progress further in the movie, you get further backwards in time in his story. Right. right. Yeah, and I it, it, again, it's it's just it's a fantastic way to tell a story. You have a character who has that memory loss that you know it, it helps you identify with that character um, a whole lot. But throughout the story, what you end up finding out that is that literally every single character is an asshole.
1: I want to say this cause I and I hope nobody listening is like this because if you like movies, I hope you're not like this. I have walked out of uh, Avengers movies where people go, I don't know what happened in that movie. I couldn't follow the plot. And if that is you, please do not watch this movie (laughs) because it's not going to, it's not going to end well.
0: Or at least be prepared to watch it three or four times.
1: Or don't look at your phone. Like while you're watching a movie. (laughs) Dude. (laughs) (laughs) Like, this is not one of those movies where you can kind of just have it on in the background and still understand what's going on because there are movies like that like the Avengers movies. Um but this movie's not one of those. So if you want to follow the plot and understand what's happening, you have to actually pay attention.
0: Yeah. And Christopher Nolan movies got, you know, simpler as his filmography progressed, right?
1: Uh, no. Oh.
0: Oh, I would
1: I would say Batman was simpler but i feel like it was purposely simpler Uh, well since
0: you're doing ratings what would you give this movie overall now that you've gone back and seen it again and don't don't make me do that it's your job all right fine no i i would give this movie probably uh, i would say nostalgia would make me give it a nine out of ten if i'm being honest probably about eight or seven and a half it's it's a it's a fantastic movie I think it's it's worth watching it's worth sitting down and enjoying um and, and I think Guy Pearce does a fantastic job um just be prepared I to would, hate every character
1: I would say um because no one knows what the following is I'm not going to include it in his uh in this list I would say Memento is the bug's life of Christopher Nolan movies well, it is a good movie but is very forgettable that it's one of his okay But it's still like people forget because they're like, "Oh, ants, right?" And you're like, "No, No. not ants. That was not. That was a DreamWorks film, and not Bug's Life. Bug's Life was way better." So Insomnia um, was a movie I'd never seen before, and it it's a movie that Christopher Nolan directed, but he didn't actually write. um, Which I think watching, following, and then watching Memento, and then watching Insomnia. I think like 3 days in a row. I think insomnia was I had a day break. Um but still pretty pretty quick between them. Um it was a it was honestly a a breath of fresh air not having him write a movie. <laughs> <laughs> as much as I love Christopher Nolan like watching his movies over and over again, I'm like, "Oh yeah, he definitely has a dedicated voice that is not the best uh writing voice." Um, so, I, th- I think it was good. There were a couple... I had some issues with the writing of Insomnia. Um, a couple scenes, but they're not... They didn't break the movie in any in any sense. So, Insomnia is a movie about a murder of a young woman in the Alaskan city or town, really, of Nightmute that brings the investigation of the murder from two, I believe it was New York police uh, detectives, wasn't LAPD. it? LAPD. LAPD. So... Big city <laughs> big city detectives going to small town yeah big city detectives going to small town Alaska to solve a murder because one of the detectives is being investigated for basically planting evidence on almost every single case that he's done um, and you kind of find out at the end that's the case but he he basically chaotic good at you know ends justify the means um, direct quote from the movie right um this was a uh, released in 2002 starring Al Pacino, Robin Williams and Hillary Swank. Um really uh, because I never seen the movie it's it's always a treat to see Robin Williams cuz I miss him as a actor. Aww. Um and as a person. <laughs> so it was uh, it was nice seeing him in something that I've never seen him in before. Even though he's playing a, a creep, oh my god, he's so um, and, fucking creepy in this movie. And, and a and a murderer, <laughs> but uh, even then, like he's still you know Robin Williams, mm-hmm. the murderer.
0: <laughs> he's still very charismatic. I think that's what makes him so creepy. Yeah, um, he's not. Well, he's not it's, even it's like whole... upbeat or anything. Like his normal manic self is very understated in this movie. He's very cool in calculating until he has to
1: lay the smack down on somebody. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the most believable part about it is him going like, hey, I'm just a normal guy and this happened on accident. I'm going to murder you now. Like, <laughs> I think he, uh, Robin Williams, fantastic actor, spastic stand-up comic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I-, I think it was written well. I obviously was directed well music was done amazing I always think from the first film like I said Christopher Nolan has always had a great grasp on staging the music to where he wants it to be in a film unless that's not him and it's somebody else so if I missed research and it's somebody else that's just been with him from the beginning doing the music super well or timing it super well to the cuts yeah, uh, no, man, him, kudos to that person he and hans but have I been like
0: it, fucking friends for years
1: yeah um you see and this is the first movie that christopher nolan has directed that actually obviously has a budget mm-hmm. um so you see a lot of the establishing shots that he'll later use in almost every single one of his movies um whether it be even if it's b-tier rolling um, you know, it's, it's shots that he has established before filming has commenced, uh, new angles, uh, new filming, larger location, larger budget. Um, I don't know. It's just, a. it was a movie that I actually watched over two days because my wife and I had to stop watching it halfway through to do something else. And it was one of those movies where we stopped watching it and, you know, I was like, Hey, do you want to, do you want me to just finish it and she was super interested in it and so was I so I think it's a captivating story it is very slow it is disorienting on purpose just like Memento was Um, and I think that's kind of become in these instances or these kinds of movies one of the things that Christopher Nolan is very good at is Creating the same disorienting effect that the character is going through for the the watcher, and I think that's what he's really good at
0: yeah well i I guess if that's the case, then what the the his characters must have been as bored as shit, holy God, the first time I saw this movie, I nearly fell asleep multiple times. I don't know if it was, but how old were you uh what was it two thousand four 2002. 2002 I was uh 24. I mean I would see myself
1: I don't know. I I when I was younger, when I was in my 20s, I I saw myself as a a film watcher in the sense that I could I would like, I'm going to watch it from a film standpoint, which I still kind of do just because I've taken classes on how to do it. And I also like breaking down how the movie is made. And that's the only way I can get through Dunkirk (laughs) (laughs) without having any sort of like uh, stress. Like when we saw it in theaters, I was like, I heard about like, because other people had watched it and they're like, oh, it's very stressful because of the music, which it is um in the the only way that i got through it watching it in theaters was like i'm gonna watch this strictly from a uh critic standpoint in the sense that i'm gonna try to break down the movie and what it's doing and i love the like, i watched in theaters was not stressed the entire time my wife was like sitting there like sweating bullets
0: and i'm like this is great <laughs> <laughs> anyway yeah no i, I don't uh, know what it is um yeah. it's just I, I just remember the first time that i watched it uh in theaters it was it it just it, it didn't captivate me. I think um, Al Pacino at that point had become kind of a character. I think before uh, before that he had done uh, oh I forgot the the other movie uh, where he was a bad cop. Um, I it was kind of he it, it, that's like the that was kind of peak uh, Al Pacino over the over the top Al Pacino you know um, right. for me and so like in this movie he wasn't that over the top. I mean he he would get kind of ragey but not over the top so. Uh. I think
1: uh I think the problem with me and this probably would have happened when I was younger. Uh I I thought Al Pacino did a really good job and it kind of shows, you know, obviously like uh Godfather Scarface. I mm-hmm. think Al Pacino's a good actor um in the yeah. sense of most actors which are they play themselves um but are able to kind of slip into other characters subtly. Yeah. Um, I think there's very few character actors nowadays. Um and I could I could name a few if you wanted, <laughs> but really it's just like Tom Cruise is playing Tom Cruise as this character or A lot of actors, I think like Johnny Depp's really good at, at trying to play someone else, although now he's just kind of become Jack Sparrow and everything. Yeah. Um, um most No, I, I can't
0: think of his name at the moment, never mind.
1: Yeah, most most actors I think are like I'm Chris Pratt and I'm Chris Pratt as this person. Yeah. Like they're not, uh, they're actors in the sense that I believe that they're having those emotions that they're having on screen, but I don't, there's very few that I'm like, Oh, they're playing this person. Um, I think Tom Hardy does a really good job of actually playing someone else. That's not Tom Hardy. Yeah. Um, and I'll get into that later on a different Christopher <laughs> Nolan movie. But uh I think I think Al Pacino did a really good job. I think I uh lump him in with Robert De Niro who is a terrible fucking actor. Um and I think that's just this movie was something that kind of brought out like
0: how good
1: Al Pacino did in this film. Yeah. And and you know
0: how bu- I, I, I went back and watched it when it came out on Blu-ray. Um and then watched it again I think last year and it's it, it you know what? It's a good movie. I I am not bored with it anymore. Um, I it it, it grows on me the more that I watch it, and, and I think you're right. I think uh, that was you, you know Al Pacino recently has has been showing or has shown his acting chops. You know, uh, I think he just right. went through a period uh, where it was. I don't think the characters were written well for him. Um, um, I mean, I I will
1: say with this movie, it is a uh, it's a slow burn. And it might have, maybe it helped that my wife and I broke it up into two different nights. Maybe that, that's what did it for us. But, you know, whenever I had to stop it the first night, she was like, I definitely want to keep watching it. Because it is a, uh, even though you know, halfway through the movie, you know who the murderer is. And, and, yeah. and what's what's happening. You still don't know how it's going to play out. Because it feels like it's going to play out with... um. Everyone getting away with everything versus what actually happens. Right. I, I would say it's worth a watch. If I, I guess if we're doing reviews, um,
0: I'd give it a solid seven. I would agree with that. They, seven out of ten. I'd probably be a, a little lower than that, but I think generally I would recommend it. Absolutely. I,
1: I give it a seven because it's better than I would rather watch it than the following. <laughs> 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 uh, maybe I should have just rated the following lower. I don't know. Uh, there you go. Well, what guy, what did you, uh, you had Batman begins. That was next.
0: Yeah. 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 Uh, Batman begins, um, is the story of Batman beginning. Um, I don't, okay. if you haven't seen Batman begins, I don't know what you're doing. You need to go see this movie. Uh, but it is the story of Bruce Wayne. Um, how he went from, uh, the, the son of, of murdered parents, trust fund, uh, teen, you know, early 20s person to being Batman and facing off against Scarecrow and Ross al Ghul. Like that is that is the crux of the movie. Um, it, it is aptly titled. Came out in uh, uh, June 15th, 2005. Starring Christian Bale, Michael Cain, uh, Kane, Liam Neeson, Katie Holmes, Gary Oldman, Morgan Freeman and Cillian Murphy. Uh, I pulled all those names yes. off the poster to try and get them in billing order. <laughs> Jeez, There's so many. Um, but yeah, no, uh, Batman begins, uh, is, is a great movie. Um, at the time, I think we can't talk about this movie without talking about the landscape of Batman movies at the time, right? We haven't had a, a Batman uh, movie in eight years. Uh, and the last one we had was, uh, Batman and Robin, Joel Schumacher movie. And I know that those movies get shit on a lot and, and, and Batman and Robin deservedly. So Batman forever, I would say less so. But I also feel that those two movies are very comic book come-to-life movies, and they have their place. Uh, I wouldn't say they're <laughs> comic book come-to-life.
1: I would say if I, had to, if I had to summarize Batman Begins in one thing, it was the first Batman movie to not be
0: considered a joke. yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I was going to argue about the Tim Burton movie, but I guess most people, until they saw it, felt it was going to be crappy.
1: I would say, if I had to summarize the Tim Burton movies, I would say it's Tim Burton wanted to take them seriously, and the production company was like, no, Batman's for babies, and it's a joke. Right. (laughs) And that's how much money you're getting is baby joke money.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So that's, that's the environment where this Batman movie is coming up, and I think that informed a lot of how that movie was developed, who they picked to develop the movie, um and 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 really run with this more grounded story of how could a person potentially become a real Batman? Um, and it's pointed out the very uh, very obvious and upsetting fact that we have several hundred billionaires in the country and zero Batman.
1: That's because I mean, in the world, else, excuse but me.
0: themselves,
1: yeah, because their parents weren't murdered in front of them. So we
0: just need to know <laughs> Yeah. No. Nope. no. All right.
1: Don't go there.
0: I. Uh... <laughs> we need more Batman. That's all I'm saying. Or Bat Women. It's fine. Or Bat People. To,
1: to foreshadowing for the rest of the Batman movies to show you how well these did. Um, when Zack Snyder had to drop out for for personal reasons of uh the DC Universe, um, this shows why DC tried to groom Nolan for basically the lead role in DC movies. And thankfully, Nolan was smart enough to go. I don't. I don't. I'll. I'll produce and write one, but that's about it. <laughs> right. Which we didn't even put it on there because he didn't direct it, but he did write uh, the Superman movie.
0: Yeah, he did. He did. Mm-hmm. Um, we can talk about that if you want. I, I don't know. I. I, I don't I didn't know watch much it because it's not good. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I didn't know you. If you meant you hadn't seen it, you did not I've seen okay. it. I own it. I didn't watch it for this whole spiel. God, you know what? Uh, I, I'm sorry. I'm going to talk about that fucking movie now. Um, it bothers me because I, you know, having watched The Witcher, right? I right. fucking love uh, what's-his-face that plays Superman. There's nothing wrong
1: with Henry Cavill. Right. He's a, he's a very attractive, great actor. But if, you, if um, you
0: asked me to, I can't picture in my head his voice as Superman. That's my problem with the fucking movie It's a Superman movie. And I can't picture a fucking line that he said in that movie.
1: I would say he is the most believable looking Superman that has ever existed. But DC still doesn't know how to make a live action movie.
0: So they still fucked it up. Uh, It's so frustrating. But anyway, I'm always down for Batman movie and the hype going into it seemed like it's going to be more of a grounded film because of, uh, you know the previous movies that had come out in in the Batman universe, whatever. Um, and it was directed by someone who who, for me at the time, was one hit one miss. You know, so it's interesting to see what he would do with it. Um, and and, and you know, because I know he could tell a good story, uh, I know he could do it justice, and I was just excited to go see it. Um,
1: I agree with you in in your assumption of where you were with Chris Nolan at the time, uh-huh. but. Uh, Hindsight, it's weird to hear (laughs) why that Chris, that Christopher Nolan was one hit one miss (laughs) because because basically, basically after Batman Begins, he didn't do anything wrong. Like every movie after Batman Begins, or starting with Batman Begins, has been like fucking gold. Like, right? He has not made a shitty movie since then. Like following, eh, it's not that great. Memento, it's good, but it's also kind of forgettable. Insomnia it's okay and the batman begins onward is like just fucking gold like <laughs> it's amazing
0: it's you know yeah. and and it, 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 yeah it, it blew me away um it's it, it was everything that i wanted the batman movie to be uh it wasn't uh it wasn't over the top it wasn't it was treated seriously uh you know
1: he tried to make it realistic
0: yeah which is another
1: downfall of DC movies, but I feel like he did it in the proper way.
0: But I feel like Batman Begins was really the the thing that made D, the it was successful and DC said what made this successful? Oh, it's grounded in realism and they took that thought and just fucking ran it into the ground and they still have not let go of that thought. Um
1: because they haven't made a comic book movie. Yet.
0: Yeah. It's yeah, uh, it's frustrating as as a, as a fan of DC properties. You know, it's it's uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, and and for me, I grew up. Uh, the Schumacher movies were. I was a, a mid teenager. The 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 Nolan movies. I was a mid twenties. So there's a clear delineation in my life of like childhood Batman movies and grown up Batman movies. <laughs> and I'm so happy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> i mean i i would say it had a similar aspect except that 2005 i was still in high school so um grown up as a high schooler when you think you're grown up when you're in high school anyone in high school that listens to this you're not grown up <laughs> but you'll find that out when you're 30 <laughs> good luck and you'll, and you'll look back and go oh i wasn't but you think you are now
0: and it's okay When you've literally lived on this planet twice as long as you already have, then you'll figure out that no, you are not growing up as a teenager.
1: (laughs) When you watch movies uh, like Interstellar, when you're like in your 20s, and then you watch it again when you're like 32, and you cry for half the
0: movie, uh, that's when you'll figure out stuff. But anyway, I I guess. So we have Christian Bale (laughs) as Batman. Uh, You know what? He gets a lot of shit because his bat-raft got really bad. I don't think it was that bad in this movie.
1: Uh I will say the one thing I do like from the Zack Snyder Batman, uh Ben Affleck Batman. I don't know why he didn't have a voice modulator the entire time. In The Dark Knight Rises, he obviously has it on his capes, but cape but they don't use it. Like the thing that's I there's a scene where it shows a close-up of his cape and his cape is held together with two voice modulators but it's never addressed in the movie and it's still christian bale going my name is christian bale and i'm super dark and batman like and he constantly in the behind the scenes is like oh yeah i I ruined my voice like 80 billion times during the making of that movie i had no problem with it i thought it was nice it was better than obviously any of the other batman movies before where it's like i'm val kilmer as bruce wayne now i am val kilmer as batman My voice is the same. (laughs) I mean, I appreciate Christian Bale doing something different where he's like, well, obviously I wouldn't want someone to think that I'm Bruce Wayne, so I would have a different voice. Um, And if no one has seen the uh, bad man sketches that College Humor did during this time period, definitely go watch them. They are funny.
0: Do you have strong feelings on Katie Holmes? No. Okay. No.
1: I don't know. I... I, um... No, my my strong feelings are against Tom Cruise, but
0: yeah, I don't know. I just i i, I thought she was fine as Rachel, um, and it, it, and nothing against Maggie Gyllenhaal. I just I, I understand that character switch, but whatever. I I, I thought it was it was great to see, to see Katie Holmes in a movie. Anything else you want to say about Batman before we uh, move on? The Prestige, Andrew.
1: Okay, it's on me. This is the Prestige. It is a movie about, uh, really about two rival magicians, Robert Angier and Alfred Borden, who are huge assholes to each other and are huge assholes to each other the entire movie. Basically, it's about them trying to create the best magic trick so they could become the best magicians. It honestly starts with uh, Borden accidentally killing angie's wife creating a white rivalry that is kind of completely unnecessary and uh murderous to an extent a um bit. yeah a little bit released in 2006 starring christian bale hugh jackman scarlett johansson and michael kane i always called it for the longest time batman versus wolverine uh which it is um This was my favorite movie for several years. I saw it like three or four times in theaters. Um, yeah, such a great, great directed movie. Um, I didn't, this is actually one of the movies. I watched it tonight in the background while I was doing a bunch of other stuff because I've seen it so many times. And I I was trying to figure out how to write notes about it and I just couldn't. So, (laughs) um, this is one of the movies that uh, I I watched, and I was like, "Well, I have to read the book because it's based on a book by Christopher Priest." Um, and it's a, I'm not a good reader, reader, as they say. Um, I can read, and I do read books, but the book is fairly slow. But I would say is a very good read as long as you force yourself for the through the first third of the book and then it's great after that. (laughs) Um, But it is drastically different from the movie in a good way. So I would say if you watch the movie, you like the movie, read the book. It's a great book. Um, Very pretty movie. Very uh, just astounding shots as far as locations that they did for Arizona uh, whenever they're doing the... uh, Tesla scenes. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't forget to mention at the end of uh, Insomnia, there is a, the end trailer or the end credits has a David Bowie song. And it made me think like maybe Christopher Nolan was a huge David Bowie fan. And that's why he put him in the prestige or tried to get him into the prestige finally as Nikola Tesla. But I I mean, this movie was a, I don't know. This, this is a, a huge, impact on my life as far as uh what i see as directed movies and what i actually like in movies just because of the way it's directed the way the story is told uh written by christopher nolan and jonathan nolan um again story probably created by christopher nolan and then re retooled by by jonathan <laughs> um, I, I I love the fact that they use practical magic when they could, which I think I feel like uh, this movie came out at the same time as a movie called The Illusionist starring
2: uh, uh, Edward Norton.
1: I had it, I had it in my head, and then it's like when I had to say it, it flew away. Edward Norton. Um, thank you. The Edward Norton film used digital effects, which I feel like is what uh, initially hurt it in my mind. Mm-hmm but i also saw the prestige first and then saw the illusionist and from most people that i talked to that saw the illusionist first and then the prestige it's the opposite belief where they think the illusionist is the better movie they're wrong but right. yeah, that's they're, okay they're what we call wrongies <laughs> they are the wrongies um <sighs> this movie is weird watching it today i was trying to like come at it at, from an objective standpoint um, and it's really just like the story of two assholes fighting with each other <laughs> where like, <laughs> like Robert Angier is an asshole. Like he's like he's married to this lady. They have a great life. He's trying to be a magician. And then Borden accidentally kills her by tiding the wrong knot. And then for the rest of his life, Angier's is like, well, I fucking hate Borden. So I'm going to ruin his life. And Borden's like, I'm just going to live my life. And then Andrew starts ruining it. And he's like, well, now I'm just going to fuck with Angie as much as I can. So, like, you start to feel bad for Borden. And then he becomes a huge asshole. And you're like, I just don't feel bad for anybody. This movie does not, I think the main takeaway is this movie does not keep to the prestigious um, story. Or, the, the I guess, the prestigious rules that it sets at the beginning of the movie. Because the prestige, I didn't write it down, so I may be wrong. Guy, please, please, uh, tell me when I'm wrong, because I know you have a thing you want to talk about. So the prestige is about magic. So a magic trick is something that starts with, um, the tell, right? Mm-hmm. That's the first it's portion the of it. The pledge, there you Here, go. Here's the quote. The tell quote. the second portion. Here's the quote.
0: All right, there you go. Do it for Every me. Every great magic trick consists of three parts or acts. The first part is called the pledge. The magician shows you something ordinary, a deck of cards, a bird, or a man. He shows you this object. Perhaps he asks you to inspect it to see if it is indeed real, unaltered, normal, but of course, it probably isn't. The second act is called the turn. The magician takes the ordinary something and makes it do something extraordinary. Now you're looking for the secret, but you won't find it because, of course, you're not really looking. You don't really want to know. You want to be fooled, but you wouldn't clap yet because making something disappear isn't enough. You have to bring it back. That's why every magic trick has a third act, the hardest part, the part we call the prestige.
1: And this is where the movie does not follow that guideline. (laughs) The The movie does not start with something ordinary. It starts with the prestige. It starts with showing you how the magic trick is done, but not explaining how it's done, Um, which is showing you how the end of the movie basically happens, but doesn't happen. And this is where Christopher Nolan gets into his, I'm going to be a complicated asshole (laughs) and write stories that have multiple layers um, that you have to decipher in, Honestly, I should have watched this movie more carefully and written more notes before I did this section. But uh, he starts with the he starts with explaining this after showing you how the final
0: trick is done. He But you don't know that at the time. All you see is just a bunch of hats and you have no idea what those hats are. Here's the thing.
1: He does that for every movie after this, except for, I think, Dark Knight Rises <laughs> and Dark Knight. Well, sure. But every movie after this, uh, uh, for Inception and for Interstellar, they're all done the same way. He shows you the end and then builds up to it from there. But it's still not a magic trick.
0: Well, but I, I think the, in the story structure that the the, the pledge... The setup that, that he's talking about is 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 magic, and the story about these magicians that hate each other right,
1: right, but the pledge is something ordinary. he doesn't show you something ordinary at the beginning. he shows he, you something extraordinary
0: well well, sure, but that's not part of the main story at that point, I guess is what I'm saying like you don't have the, that information yet, so it doesn't count <laughs> okay. You know, so if you start the story where the the narrative starts, I guess, then you're talking about explaining magic, and then that and then that turns in into the the rivalry story, and then turning that into you know the, the whatever the extraordinary thing is 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 that you know showing you how this magic is real or whatnot, and then at the end of it showing you like turning it on its air, bringing it, you know all back around and solving this whole fucking puzzle of who is who and blah blah but blah, blah. But implicity,
1: but. The movie starts at the beginning, which the movie, the beginning is the portion that shows you what is going to happen at the end. Yeah.
0: Well, okay. So I I guess I agree with you. I see see where you're coming from on that. But
1: it's a complicated, wonderful movie, and I give it a 9 out of 10 just because I don't know if I would give any movie a 10 out of 10, except for maybe Hot Fuzz. But that's not part of this list.
0: But it is. It is a, w- a, it is an, an amazing movie. And and and
1: this is a 9.5 out of 9.8 out of 10. 9. Point, I don't know. It's fine. <laughs> 9.9999 out of 10. Almost 10.
0: Well, okay, and you, you referenced uh the there's this article uh and, and I really should have written down who it's by, but it's it's an article uh written by a cracked writer uh on cracked.com uh talking about how Bruce Wayne's going to die in The Dark Knight Rises. Um, and it, it it puts forth this theory that that the that Christopher Nolan's working on like a, a trilogy of films that involve uh, stories and stories or whatnot. But I you know thinking about it further, I think that the author got it wrong, or he got it right, but he was talking about the wrong three movies because he says the uh whatever the Prestige uh, sets up story and story, and then Inception builds upon it and turns it on its head, and then you know uh, fucking Inception makes something magical out of it. Honestly, I think it's I think it's Memento introduces story in the story, the fucking the Prestige turns it on its head, and fucking Inception makes story in the story just fucking magical. Um, you know, I think uh, if you think of those three re- uh, movies related by that kind of story structure and, and dealing with stories within stories, uh, I, I think it's a neat tie-in to to all three of those movies.
1: I would say The Dark Knight Rises actually follows a magic trick. Um storyline because you have bruce wayne he's a normal person they show you something normal Mm -hmm. which is him with cartilage that can't grow back or whatever is happening in that movie um and then they show you something extraordinary his back breaks and then he's fixing it inside of a cell and they take it away from you whenever he is blown up with releasing the bomb at the end of the movie, which we're getting way ahead of all of the movies here. And then they bring it back at the end of the movie with him at the cafe.
0: Yeah. I agree with that. I think that that's, that's yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, I think that's the only movie that does that, that
0: follows that guideline. <laughs> yeah, man. For me, like that movie just fucking, it blew my mind again. I, again, um, you know, Christopher Nolan is two for three at this point, you know, I fucking I blew it away with Batman, like, OK, now they're going to give him a, a, a better budget, you know, uh, to do to, to do more things with he gets to do a project that he's excited about. It's not a you know, he's taking a break from the Batman universe He's working with these actors that he has used before. Uh, I, I was hyped about going into it. it just, don't be boring like Insomnia and, and you're going to fucking win. And and he absolutely did yeah did not disappoint yeah but um and then after that he went back to batman the dark knight tell us about that one buddy
1: all right so we're gonna talk about the dark knight which is the second christopher nolan batman film um synopsis being uh bruce wayne batman obviously has been batman for a little while uh is now helping uh James Gordon, who is not the commissioner just yet, but becomes commissioner during the film and Harvey Dent, the district attorney, uh, try and take out the organized crime that is just sweeping Gotham city while also fighting the anarchist Joker, um, who seems to be there to kill Batman movie was released in 2008 starring Christian Bale, Michael Caine, Heath Ledger, Gary Oldman, Maggie Gyllenhaal, Aaron Eckert, and Morgan Freeman. Again, just star stud cast uh i do want to mention kind of first thing uh the joker has always been a sore spot for myself and i feel like a lot of other comic book uh and honestly batman animated series fans uh where he's just a a complex villain who was only meant to be an issue (laughs) villain that turned out to be batman's uh greatest foe in in most villain rated lists is the the best villain of all time for most people so I think it's it's really the most challenging role that any actor can kind of take on and I was very skeptical uh for the trailers that were releasing for the voice that that uh he ledger was doing and i I couldn't have been more um surprised and delighted with his portrayal of the Joker in this movie just because it was it was different enough to where he wasn't you know he's not taking from Mark Hamill he's not trying to be uh one of the Jokers from the past he's trying to be his own Joker but it still makes sense as far as the character in the comics is concerned as far as an, an anarchist or mainly just someone who in the movies uh, pretense wants to watch the world
0: burn. Right. Uh, well, and he got, he got a, a posthumous Oscar for, for his role here. And um, I, I think it was rightly deserved. I, you know, i sure he may have gotten a boost from having died, you know, right. That's that's <laughs> yeah. a possibility. Yeah. Um, But I think that it was, it was, it was well-deserved and, and even had, had he, had he lived uh, to, to see the ceremony, uh, still w- would have gotten or should have gotten that Oscar.
1: Right. I hope he would have. But he did, uh, that was one movie that I did watch mm-hmm. at least the the last half of I was paying attention to. And he, um, I, I paid mostly attention to the opening credits to watch the way, the way that he portrayed it. Or I guess the opening scene. And then the last half of the movie, the way that he portrayed it. I, I think everything that he did was a conscious choice. And again, kind of goes back to what we were talking about uh, with actors that play themselves versus actors that are trying to be a character actor and play someone else. And I, I think the the downfall or the reality of it was the the way that Heath Ledger chose to get into this character was destructive um and without getting too depressing was was not a healthy choice but it it got the results that I hope he was looking for uh in the end of what it was happening it's just unfortunate that it ended the way that it was but
0: yeah it's a- It's a it's a performance for the for for the ages, you know.
1: Right, but I I I don't know. I just I I hope that it's what he wanted, and from everything that I've seen as far as like behind the scenes, um, thankfully he didn't take he didn't do what some other method actors have uh, done, which I don't really know if he really did a method acting thing and more. Just got caught up in it, and it and it ended poorly. Um. Anyway, enough of that. Uh. I, obviously, I think that Gary Oldman is one of my favorite uh actors, as far as uh as far as like character actors are concerned. And Christian Bale is also mm-hmm. an amazing actor that that can take himself into other aspects that are not just I'm just Christian Bale doing this person, um. I don't know. This movie was uh, was weird, as far as where Christopher Nolan has gone before. Because to be fair, this is also Christopher Nolan's first sequel to anything that he's ever done before. Yeah, and I'm not sure from the way that the third movie, and we'll get into it, is is done. I'm not sure if he had planned on doing a sequel. It sounds like he has because the first movie is called Batman Begins Um, because I do know from writings of the third movie he said he was not going to do a third movie unless he had a script that he was proud of or thought needed to be made so obviously a third movie was made so he thought it needed to happen so I don't know if it was planned as like Batman Begins and then The Dark Knight and then he was going to stop there. And you know, the production company was like, "Please make a third movie." And he was like, "Okay, well, let me write something first that makes sense." Um,
0: well, and I think had Heath Ledger lived, the third movie could have been something completely different. A um, hundred percent, because he's
1: actually come out and said that at the uh, in the third movie, which I guess we're not we'll talk about now, but this section, um, the scene where it has the uh Killen Murphy as the the scarecrow mm-hmm. and he's and he's the judge over everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was supposed to be the Joker, but because of uh Heath Ledger passing, they changed it to a different character.
0: And and that would have gave, given that that scene a little bit of extra boost. Um and and I think well, we'll talk about it later, but but I think The Dark Knight Rises was just not quite as good as things that had come before.
1: Right, yeah. I do. I do appreciate um, Christopher not doing Christopher Nolan not doing the normal comic book movie thing of killing villains, which I've always been uh, not a fan of, unless it's appropriate. I think it was somewhat appropriate in this first Spider-Man Tobey Maguire movies whenever they mm-hmm. kill uh, Green Goblin, just because that does happen in the comics, and then he's replaced by his son. But normal comic book movies are like, oh, we're just going to kill the villain. <laughs> that's not that's not a normal comic book thing because they need to keep them in there in order to continue comic books. I I think it's a really good movie. I think it's acted well. I think it's done well. I think it's written well. Um, I think it builds upon the last movie in a positive light and doesn't kill villains, which I'm always a fan of and I think it uh it well I mean the,
0: Two-Face is dead as shit.
1: Well, you're you're correct. Yeah. That was a I guess I am proven wrong. I didn't think about that. <laughs> I'm just I'm just thinking about the Joker. Yeah. The the the, uh, the
0: good villain. <laughs> the one I care about. But yeah, well, okay, let's talk about Two-Face just real quick. Let's talk about Two-Face before we move on. Um cuz Two-Face does show up. He is a villain in this movie. Technically, Two-Face is a Batman villain in two I guess Batman series right you know there, there's been two takes on Two-Face and movies. yeah and I frankly remember Tommy Lee Jones's time as Two-Face more so than Aaron Eckhart's
1: God, it's so bad
0: and it, I don't know it's just Aaron Eckhart shows up and has a messed up face and like kills some people and that's it like he wasn't talk fucking yeah. Two-Face he's just I guess mad out of, face out of
1: every performance it
0: was a the weakest yeah and, and I like Aaron Eckhart, right? Like I enjoyed his take on, uh, uh, as, uh, the Punisher, right? Wasn't he the Punisher? Nope. Oh, that's Thomas Jane that's Punisher. Never mind. Uh, whatever. I like Aaron Eckhart too. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't think having him as Two-Face added anything to the movie.
1: I think, yeah, I guess, I guess completely forget about him cause he's Harvey Dent for most of the movie. And even when he's... I guess that's the the downfall of it, is even when he's Two-Face, he's not really Two-Face. Because the, the... As much as I hate to say it, Two-Face is a super fucking complicated character. That is the reason I don't like Tom Lee Jones' portrayal of him is because he's just crazy. I think Two-Face is one of the most complicated villains of the Batman universe in the sense that... Harvey Dent was Bruce Wayne's best friend at one point, which is not really represented in this movie because they don't have any backstory together. And maybe that's what was missing from this movie to be perfectly honest. Uh, to talk about, to talk about two faces relationship with Batman is so complicated just because of how the movies have, or how the comics have really kind of portrayed it and how there are different obvious universes and storylines I know the latest All-Star Batman that happened last year or 2 years ago um had it to where Batman and or Bruce Wayne and Harvey Dent actually grew up in the same like kind of halfway house together as children and were friends from like the age of like 7 or some something like that. Um so it's weird. They have a complicated history and they would never kill each other because Batman would never kill his Old best friend, even though he's gone, because he believes that half of him is still in there. And Two Face is has just uh, just associative identity disorder. So, because fa- half his face is blown up. Anyway, let's move on.
0: Yeah, it's a fair point. Anyway, the point being that that Two Face it's, it, it's a great movie. It's a great movie. Two Face is underutilized. You know, nine, 9 out of ten would watch again. Yeah, I would say
1: uh, in most circles, in a lot of circles that I run in, it is the best
0: uh, Christopher Nolan Batman movie to watch. Absolutely. Uh So after that, we got another Batman break, and we got Inception, Andrew. We do have Inception,
1: and this was, uh, I forgot how much this movie was. Uh, Professional thief, Cobb, um, steals information by infiltrating subconscious targets through dreams. Um, He is offered a chance to basically implant a memory into someone's brain, which is thought to be impossible, but he knows is not because of previous encounters by doing that with his wife. Spoilers, as we said in the beginning, this is all going to be spoilers. Um, So he knows it is real. So they, his job is to implant a memory into someone's life, life. Basically came out in 2010 starring Leonardo DiCaprio Ken Watanabe, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Marion Cotillard. Cotillard. Alright, thank you. (laughs) Ellen Page, Tom Hardy, Killian Murphy, uh, Tom Berenger, and Michael Caine. A lot of familiar faces, some new faces there. Uh, Really just... Yeah, what a good movie. I thought my notes were long on this until I did Inception, which we'll get into later. Um, But...
0: You I've seen say you did Interstellar. Yeah, Interstellar.
1: Sorry, did I say Inception? Yeah, Inception. Ah, uh. <laughs> uh, uh, I. This is such a good movie, and I. This is probably the first time that I've sat down and actually tried to analyze it from a, a movie perspective and from a story perspective. And the more I analyzed it, like halfway through the movie, I was like, "God damn it, this is a dream. Like this is all happening in." Uh, Cobb subconscious which funny story Cobb is also used and is a reused name from the following oh I mean It's the name of the thief and he does it again uh with I think another character I don't remember who but uh, obviously Chris Nolan's signature writing style um only less monologuey less college more believable uh solo writing so he did not actually have jonathan nolan on this one and he does an amazing job of reeling himself in and not writing like a robot and writing how actual humans talk to each other (laughs) um i think it's his most visually creative film without using any sort of uh digital effects so his most his most creative practical effects film and possibly my favorite Tom
0: Hardy movie that I've seen him in. Um, really, you just you didn't really like uh, Star Trek Nemesis. I don't think I've ever seen Star Trek Nemesis.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a huge Star Trek guy, and that's why, like, whenever in the in the Discord people start talking about Star Trek, I don't hate Star Trek. I just it's it's a lot. Star yeah, Trek no, a lot.
0: <laughs> it's it's not a great Star Trek movie, and Tom Tom Hardy plays the main villain in that movie. But
1: anyway, okay. was well, he's uh, he's the best, the best he's in this movie. Um, problem. I think uh, a massive work of blurring the lines between reality and in, in the movie world, trying to trick you into thinking that it's real, but it's not. And there's a whole lot of evidence. If you guys want me to go into it, I will. Uh, pointing towards why it is a dream and why it's all in his subconscious.
0: You want me to? Cause I will. I mean, you can, I disagree with you, but that's fine.
1: Okay. All right. So the movie, this is defined by the movie's rules. Uh, the movie rules are uh, you never, when you're in a dream, you never know how it starts. We never actually see how this interaction starts. We only see Cobb's reality or Cobb's perception of how it starts. And the first time we see Cobb is in a dream, not actually in reality. It's him incepting somebody else at the very beginning. Um, When he's running through the streets of one of the... uh, When he's trying to go get Tom Hardy, there's a section where he's running through a building and he is able to finally fit through it by it magically getting large enough for him to fit through. Uh, Cobb is referred to at the beginning of the film as the best architect that's ever lived and the best person that's ever done Inception, so why wouldn't he be able to create these memories? Um, Whenever they talk about later in the film going into the subconscious, they say that the subconscious or that limbo is basically pure, pure subconscious. So there's nothing that would imply that Cobb would not be able to create or recreate memories that he has at different locations like France or Africa. Um, and the fact that he's able to create his wife almost perfectly, even though uh, he says later that he could never make it that perfect, implies that he would be able to create a team or recreate his uh, father-in-law or recreate his children. And the fact that you never see his children age past the age that you see at the beginning of the movie even though the movie would have taken place years after they had grown up to that age. Uh, what else do you want? <laughs> but the scenes the scenes in the hotel room where uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is fighting people, uh, those were actually done uh, first with a, a tunnel. I don't know if you've ever seen, there's an old uh, Fred Astaire movie where he dances on the walls and then the ceiling. It's just a cylinder that they move. The camera stay stationary. But the cylinder moves and the people actually dance on the walls and the ceiling because those become the floor because the cylinder is moving. The scenes later on in the Joseph Gordon Levitt hotel rooms where he's floating um were done in a zero G plane where they do the mm-hmm. uh the plane flight where they can they can go up and they basically do
0: different drops that simulates zero Gs like you're in space. Um Yeah, it's they, basically like going up and downhill like really at sharp angles. Um They get to the top of it, they dive down uh, the whatever speed like you humans fall at. at.
1: Right. And I think the the most impressive part is I think you only have like 80 seconds of that. Yeah, it's a real short time. And so they had to film like 20 minutes of that.
0: Yeah, well, it's the same way that they did Apollo 13.
1: They did Apollo 13 the same way they did. There's an OK Go video where they did it like that.
0: Yeah. It's it's uh
1: it's easily done, but it's still impressive that it's
0: very impressive
1: that people do that. Um my theory is that Cobb is in limbo the entire time, mainly because he the, the totem that he uses, which in the movie the totem is used to prove that you're in a dream and you're not supposed to let anyone else touch your totem because only you know the weight of it. Cobb's totem the entire time is his wife's totem.
2: Mm-hmm
1: it's not his. He never he never tells you what his totem was. He never implies that he has a totem.
0: Um that's, therefore See, I don't believe it's it's real. I just figured after his wife like killed herself that he just used her totem from then on as a memorial to her.
1: I think that's what the the movie wants you to believe. And I think that's what the what Christopher Nolan wants you to believe. But I think what happened is after his wife's death, he reached a point of such raw subconscious that he's creating this um, the section. And he even talks about in the movie, uh, every time he goes to sleep with the sedation when they're trying to plan it, and he's got his own little section that he's created, like the, the elevator that shows different portions of his life, different memories, that he says he has to fix. And besides his wife dying, which I don't think he thinks he can ever fix, obviously... But the rest of the movie is him fixing mistakes that he's done in the past. Like what? Like what the main problem is running away from his kids. Oh, okay. And also at the end of the movie it's implied, but not so much that the 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 the, the biggest thing is is the top spinning at the end of the movie, which I think is just a misnomer. But I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I spent I-
0: too much time thinking about it yeah well i don't know the, the i mean that's i think that's the point of that shot is it's long enough that that you would think in a lot of circumstances the top could or should have toppled over by that point right it's, it's a very specifically timed cut uh the to give of- you that feeling of of disbelief because you're like well why isn't it falling yet you know, why hasn't it wobble? And it gives you that one little wobble and then starts to go back. So it's this ambiguous ending that lets you ask those questions.
1: Right. There's two other scenes. Um, one, you never see his kid's face until the very end of the movie when mm-hmm. he has, quote unquote, fixed the problem. Um, the other is whenever he's first talking about his wife and how she didn't believe that she was in the real world because she didn't, you know, wouldn't she know her own children? As she's pointing to her kids that she can't see the face of. Mm-hmm. Um later on in the movie when he's in limbo talking to his imaginary wife, um he says the he quotes the exact same thing when when I know my own children. Um which kind of shows the delusion that he's living under is the same delusion that she did before she killed herself. I don't know, it's a confusing movie. <laughs>
0: It is, and it's great, and it's—I don't know—I I think um, Christopher Nolan again—he out—he outdid himself as as a filmmaker. Uh, you know, he, he kind of touched on it. I think this is his his best movie so far, um, and it's—it it was exciting to go on on or to come on this journey this, this far of like just fucking right. great movie after great movie after great movie. Um, and to see it here is it's it's you know it led into um, uh, just, just this this holy shit can this guy ever do anything wrong uh, sort of thing that that he's got going on. Which we find out he can. Which we find out he can. The Dark Knight Rises. Okay, you know what? This movie gets shit on a lot. Um, it, you know what? I'm gonna defend this movie. That's in, false. In in a minute but uh dark knight rises 8 is takes place 8 years after the dark knight um after batman has taken the blame for uh the inconsequential murders of two-face um and the whole city's mad at him and he's retired um uh, bane bane shows up does bane things takes things hostage forces batman out of hiding uh or forces batman to come out again Uh, beats the shit out of him, and then Batman has to come save the day because Bane has uh, got a nuclear bomb. Came out in July of 2016, starring, again, Christian Bale, uh, Tom Hardy, Anne Hathaway, Gary Oldman, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Marion Cotillard, Morgan Freeman, and Michael Caine. Um, This, uh, you know, as we kind of said, this is the first Nolan movie for me in, in, in a long run where I was like, um, yeah, that wasn't near as good as anything else that he's done. Um in, in recent memory. You know, but but I did enjoy it. Uh I enjoyed watching it. I've watched it a few times since, and I, I would I would say that uh even though it didn't live up to to the Nolan hype, it's still an enjoyable movie. I mean I I didn't agree with some of the choices. Like uh Tom Hardy's mask voice was Kind of like Sean Connery holding a palm over his face. And that was
1: not the first choice. That was him <laughs> re recording that audio because the audio that they originally recorded was not good because it was him in that mask. Um, right. I don't know. I um I've always had a hard time with this film because people have disliked it more than I've liked it. Uh, mm-hmm. Um in the sense that I, I, I have no issue with this film. I think it's a good movie. I think that it's a good storytelling. And I think it's a good continuation of uh, where the Batman films have gone. So it, it it's always been hard for me in the sense that I have always liked this movie and other people haven't liked it. I don't know. I don't think it's a bad movie. I don't think it's weak. I don't think there's a weak portion and I think the only portion of this movie that's weak is people trying to compare it to the other movies, which I think is, is a valid point because I think that's human nature trying to want to compare a second or third movie to the first or the second. Um, So there's nothing wrong against doing that, uh, but I, I think it has its strengths over the other movies and has its weaknesses over
0: the other movies. Um, a quick, quick correction, sorry. Uh, it came out in 2012, not 2016. Sorry okay. about that.
1: I don't know. I, I like Bane. I like Tom Hardy. Um, I do mm-hmm. like Christopher Nolan has come out and said, and the reason why he cast him as Bane of the Dark Knight and why he cast him as the character that he did in uh, Dunkirk is that Tom Hardy is better at acting with just his eyes than most actors are with their entire body. Uh, which I agree with. I think Tom Hardy is a fantastic physical
0: actor. Um, he should do a superhero movie where they cover his face, though. And he's sort of kind of a, uh anti-hero.
1: I'm sure he's... I mean, I think they tried to do that. It was called Venom, and it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i don't know i also through these christopher nolan movies it's also made me believe that a- acting is a hundred percent what that actual person brings to the table and what the director can pull out of them um because i definitely have seen some you know some tom hardy movies where he's not <laughs> not at the top of his game mm-hmm. um Star Trek Nemesis, yeah, there you go, uh, <laughs> but Dark Knight Rises I mean it was it was a movie that it feels complete, and I think the portion that people don't like is the sacrifice at the end that then is not a sacrifice, but when you think about it, Bruce Wayne is sacrificing his entire life as far as his name, his money, his title and then just being a guy in France that eats at a cafe, which I would love to do for the rest of my life and not have to work anymore. But
0: right. Like we assume <laughs> that he went into like uh cat thieves, sold, or uh, excuse me, uh b- 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 loot sold it on the black market and now he just lives his life under an alias or some shit. Like I, I don't right. I don't have a problem with Bruce Wayne being dead to to the world and-, and-, and you know Batman not being a thing. I I think that's fantastic. But Batman is a thing. Uh, well Still. kind of. Living you know, he- on through quote unquote Robin Right, and who knows? I guess Robin's going to take up the Batman mantle. He's not going to become a you know Robin, maybe. Right.
1: I mean, it 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 is a a. I do agree. It would be the weakest continuation of Batman having Joseph gordon Levin's character become Batman, not really knowing anything about it other than that Bruce Wayne was Batman. <laughs> right. I feel like he just did that at the end to be like, ah, this is just for comic book fans. Like, ah, Batman continues. It's kind of a slight cop out, but now I finished what I wanted to do.
0: Yeah, it's like people wanted a, a dark ending, and he gave him a happy ending, and nobody was happy about it. Yeah, and I can see that. He's like, no, Bruce Wayne lives. He goes, he fucking has has a hot wife. They have adventures together. What what more do you want? Alfred knows he's alive.
1: That's a comic that's like a a cop out for the comic books like Batman dies in this role basically or dies for this pursuit and doesn't ever find peace. (laughs) And that's the that's Batman or maybe his peace is being Batman. I mean, it's kind of like the 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 perfectness of the Dark Knight is um, Bruce Wayne doesn't exist. Like mm. Bruce Wayne is, is the, the mask that Batman puts on when he's not Batman. Like Bruce Wayne becomes this vigilante and that's all he is and he only comes out during the day when he has to. And I think that's the hard part about The Dark Knight is that he's no longer that. Like He escapes it. And that's not who Batman in the comics is. Batman in the comics is a crazy person that puts on a Batman outfit. <laughs>
2: like
1: no no sane person's like i'm gonna be a vigilante for the rest of my life and that's who i am
0: like that's not something a sane person does right and and again going back to my point from earlier why don't we have at least one insane billionaire in the world who is a batman
1: in the real world because insane billionaires don't
0: care about people (laughs)
1: yeah
0: that's the hard part all right, we need a we need an insane billionaire who cares about about other people and and stopping crime. Good luck. Uh, all right, Andrew, tell us about Interstellar.
1: Oh boy. Um. So Interstellar is a movie about a and really a pilot engineer who becomes a farmer during a post-apocalyptic plague that is hitting all of our crops, which implies that we also don't have animals, so we're living off of corn. For the rest of our lives and he because of a gravitational anomaly finds coordinates to NASA who is trying to send a space mission to save the planet um came out in 2014 starring Matthew McConaughey Anne Hathaway Jessica Chastain and Michael Caine uh Anne Hathaway and Michael Caine being the remnants of his his cast that he likes to keep (laughs) um i mean this movie is is complicated in many aspects uh spoiler alert as we said at the beginning um matthew mcconaughey becomes an astronaut who goes into space who enters a wormhole that goes to a different galaxy where we have sent astronauts to try to find a habitable planet for earth to survive on based on a lie told by Michael Caine saying that Earth would follow them to that planet when in reality they're just bringing a bunch of fertilized human eggs to that planet to build the human race up from that point on, Uh, which never happens in that aspect. Written by Jonathan and Christopher Nolan. I think it's the best sci-fi film since
0: 2001. I fucking hated 2001.
1: <laughs> I mean 2001 is a is a I mean maybe we'll do that in the future it's a masterclass in filmmaking I don't know about storytelling
0: it's the most boring fucking movie of all time and every scene takes 20 goddamn minutes but god damn it isn't it pretty <laughs> I mean it is <laughs> it is an incredibly well shot <laughs> film it's just god it's like the first fucking star trek movie where the first half hour of the movie is them looking at the exterior of the goddamn Enterprise because it's a movie. This is better uh, than that. That's all I'm saying.
1: Basically, from the beginning of the movie, we establish a shot of the putcase or of his daughter's room, um, Murphy's room, which which is going to be the the central focal point for the rest of the movie and what he'll use eventually in the Event Horizon to speak to his daughter from the future. Yes. if you can call it that um i i liked the tool of the perspective of his daughter and of other people in the beginning of the movie talking about the past in a in a documentary standpoint mm-hmm. uh It's very interesting that you find out later that it's basically
0: from his home in the future um well, and they used real uh like Dust Bowl era survivors uh to do those interviews. Right from the from the uh, American Midwest, so uh, the the stories they were telling were stories about when they were kids, um, growing up in in, in times where, where the the crop uh, the crops had died and and you had the soil kicking up and and you were you were in the, I don't know you didn't have to look it up it was like the 1930s or some shit. Um, yeah, it's from a kin uh, 2012 Ken Burns documentary about the Dust Bowl, they licensed that footage um, and and used real Dust Bowl stories to to tell the Dust Bowl stories of the future.
1: That's pretty cool
0: and weird that
1: they would show that in his house later on (laughs) as a museum, which I'll talk about. It is. Well, and it Um, takes
0: place at at, at an interesting time, if you don't mind me jumping in here, um, where, uh, what's his name, uh, playing his dad? that character is basically my, our generation. Right.
1: Right. So, I mean, like as far as the timeline as the, of the movie is concerned. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I get that. Which or is where he's
0: John Lithgow, John Lithgow. Thank you. Uh John Lithgow's character is, is, uh, is in 2067, you know, a grandfather, um, and and in 2067, seven I'll be eighty five so that puts us right in that sort of you know old, old man range
1: yeah he's a he's one of them damn millennials <laughs> he is like John Lithgow <laughs>
0: plays a millennial in interstellar
1: uh well, from the beginning, cooper's daughter uh Murphy is talking about how there's a ghost in her room and how he's trying to tell her the the scientific method to prove that a ghost don't exist in a process for thinking or discovering him in the future. Uh, Murph figures out as a kid that he's speaking to her in Morse code through shoving the books off of the um, off the shelf and also speaking to her in binary, which gives them the location to get to NASA, which is a self-fulfilling prophecy of him forcing himself to go there even though he later also in Morse code tells Murph to tell him to stay. um, Basically it's just a really confusing film that brings a lot of theoretical actual science into play until we get to the event horizon
0: later on in the film. Right. The, um, the, the point where we can't confirm science. They're like, well shit, we're going to make it up.
1: I mean, I would say, yeah, I, I, the watching this movie, I've seen this movie multiple times before, but kind of watching it from a a critical standpoint. Just like the chilling message at the beginning, telling him to stay, uh, was somewhat heartbreaking, knowing what's going to happen later on in the movie. Um, even though he is the one that is giving himself the the information to go where he's going, so
0: that way he can save the human race. Yeah, man, that part wrecked me too, like at the end, um when when he's the one doing it. Um you know, he's like you dumb bastard, listen to me. Just just right. fucking stay. And I don't know, I it, when, when I watched this movie, I immediately Murphy reminded me of my daughter. Um so, I mean, my favorite film shot of
1: this movie is him leaving because it's the the countdown shot where they're counting down like, you know, Ten nine eight seven, six to blast off,, mm-hmm. and it's him leaving his house, and there's two different purposes It's cube's viewpoint of the car and what he would would have seen in the in the side mirror leaving the house mm-hmm. uh what what murphy would have or what Murph would have seen as he's leaving, but also the dust behind his car simulating the rocket lift off like it's such a multi layered shot that's just great. Um. Yeah, I, appreci- I appreciate Nolan's dedication to no sound in space because it all- it's always bugged me and other people that I've talked to that whenever there's space battles or things like that like the docking in space always has no sound like it just shows you the mechanism
0: I think uh, Firefly does it the same way right there's-
1: yeah they, they always they have like music playing but there's no like there's no like mechanical sound or anything if they dock on something, and I always appreciated that in Fireplay too. But there's so many movies that are just like pew pew pew, <laughs> like there's just sound effects of like them docking in space or something. Which
0: yeah, I feel like if the movie has the word star in it, you're probably getting sounds in space.
1: <laughs> I I mean, for anyone that doesn't know, there's no sound in space because it's a vacuum, so it can't happen. Um. I, as a side funny note, I've always thought that the ships looked like the Mighty Ducks ships from the cartoon show. <laughs> 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 like it looks like a hockey mask, like a duck hockey mask, basically. Nice. Um, i I appreciated the ticking clock music noise of them on the Wave Planet, the Seven Year Planet, um, where it'd be one hour for them as seven years in the space station. And I think that's kind of like a precursor to the Dunkirk music, but on a on a smaller scale. Hmm. Um, I see that? I I know that um, there's a lot of theory as far as time is concerned, um, and they make it sound possible. Um, to me, like 23 years on that space station for the the guy that was waiting for them when they're on that planet is just so insane. Like, just as a 30 year old thinking about. Twenty-three years on a space station by myself, even though I have like cryogenic sleeping.
0: I don't know, man. Is, is I, dude, I don't know how I feel about cryogenic sleeping. Right, um, I, I, like the the scene where Matt Damon wakes up and fucking just like loses his shit because he's so happy to see another person. I feel like that would be me every time I come out of cryo sleep. <laughs>
1: I would say the most heartbreaking scene in this movie is uh, Matthew McConaughey's reactions to his children's videos. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, that is the, the, I would say, the best acting I've seen in any Christopher Nolan movie. As much as I don't give Matthew McConaughey credit just because he's that dude that's like, all right, all right, all right, all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Like... He's a great actor. Like this movie proves how good of an actor he is. Like, you know, they keep, (laughs) I stay the same age, but they keep getting younger. You know, that kind of like bullshit that he's known for, uh, when really he should be known for (laughs) Andrew,
0: Andrew, that's a pedophile.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I know, but that's one of his roles, isn't it?
0: No, his was, I keep getting older. They stay the same age, implying that they're at the age of consent. Not I. I right. keep staying the same age. They keep getting younger.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Matthew McConaughey, you bastard. Anyway, <laughs> but like that's that's like the the roles that he's known for are like all right, all right, all right, and and that like when he should be known for this fucking shit, where like. His his one fate, like, you know, you're watching a video of his kid going like, ah, oh, my child died or whatever, and you're like, that sucks. And then it cuts to him, like, crying, and you're instantly, like, your heart sinks, <laughs> and you start to tear up because you're like, oh, fuck. Like, he's watching 23 years of videos in several hours, and he is watching his life pass before his eyes, and the chills start, like, rolling over you. um. Yeah, it's just it's just a heartbreaking scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my favorite part about it was also like the secret of Matt Damon being in this movie because it was not released in any trailer whatsoever. Yeah, and he and he just shows up and he's like Matt Damon, and um, <laughs> he just wakes up in in his crag sleep and is just. Just crazy town banana pants, man,
0: dude, Matt Damon randomly shows up in movies, like there he randomly showed up in that, he randomly showed up in Thor two, he randomly showed up in Jane style and Bob reboot i. I expect him to
1: randomly show up in my life. <laughs> like, that's how it happens? Like I'm just gonna be at the grocery store one day. And he's be like, "Hey, I'm Matt Damon." I'm be like, "Ah, uh, it's real."
0: Every American uh, gets um, one Matt Damon surprise in their life. Yeah, that's what Spider Man meant when he said
1: everyone gets one. It's Matt Damon. <laughs> 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 I forgot Topher Grace was in this movie, what, and I yes. um. Oh yeah, huh? yeah, he is. He's in this movie. And I uh, I don't know how I feel about Topher Grace because he's always that 70s show guy. He was Eddie Brock. And I mean, come on. He's,
0: he's never evolved past that for me. Uh, wasn't Donald Glover in this movie? No. Oh, that's The Martian. Never mind. That's the other Matt Damon's out in space.
1: I've actually never seen The Martian, so maybe one day. Oh, well, hey, Donald Glover's um, in that movie. Well, thanks for ruining that for me. <laughs> I think the, you know, bullshit things, Coop being tricked into doing this mission and then making the ultimate sacrifice that ended up not being the ultimate sacrifice. Um I think uh once you get into the event horizon stuff is where you really get into science fiction. Yeah. Um, imp implying that humans have created some sort of machine that builds a f- that we live in the fifth dimension at that point and they're building a third dimension allowing him to view time and space in that aspect which also plays on another um, theoretical uh, portion of time which is I- implying that time doesn't happen um, on top of or basically chronologically time happens think of it more of like a ladder on a floor where everything's happening all at the same time, just in different sections. Um, There's a lot of theoretical stuff that (laughs) happens in this movie, which is confusing. Um,
0: Let's see. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I I think that's like you said, it's where you get into science fiction because uh, you know, we, we don't know what happens when you get to a black hole. And if we went with what does that the things that we know would happen when you go into black hole is basically you, he would be what crushed immediately
1: under so much intense gravity that he would just, and that's what we don't, that's the thing is we just don't know. Basically, uh, if we've learned anything from this movie, it's that the nothing in the never ending story is a event horizon. Uh, and that's why it's sucking everything into it. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. This is where we get into, you know, pure theoretics, which is I don't understand why he was like freaking out at the beginning when he gets in there. Obviously besides him going like I don't know where I am or what's happening right now, um it's him <laughs> living in a space of he has access to every single moment of every time of his daughter's bedroom, which is also kind of creepy to think <laughs> about now. But <laughs> He there's no reason for him to freak out cuz he can always just go back to the time that where he was before cuz he has access to every moment. The the portions that always get me are are living long enough to appear younger than his daughter like being basically wormhole sucked back into uh Saturn's Saturn's gravitational pull. Mhm. Um I definitely agree with NASA running the government basically is what is implied uh whenever he is back into the future the time time travel movie really uh where NASA's like I oh, ever yeah, the bot ruling body government right now I'm like I'm okay with that i I'd rather have scientists that know what the fuck they know uh than politicians um I don't know why no one went after
0: Anne Hathaway's character before him at the end of the movie Okay. You know what? I was reading the Wikipedia article about this today to, to like, I guess th- that's how I was going through these movies. The ones that I didn't get to see, uh, uh, you know, again, while we were prepping, uh, was going through the Wikipedia articles. I'm reading that. And at the end of it, it was talking about how they had, are they had already launched missions to her planet. Um, and that he was just commandeering a vehicle that was already scheduled to go. Um, in fact, at, at the end or something, or, you know, when they show her on the planet again, they had colonists there or something, I don't know. Or they had they had a, a supply ship. That is not implied at any point during the movie. That's what the Wikipedia says. Well,
1: I disagree with it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, the, Wiki- the movie implies that she built the station that is supposed to have all the embryos Uh, all the fertilized eggs that she's going to build on the planet and that the planet is uh, suitable enough for life for her to not have a helmet on. But Cooper's daughter is basically like, she's still out there. Coop. Nobody's ever gone out there to say hello. She still exists. You can still go say hi and let her know. Cause she's on a planet that's close enough to an event horizon where time has not traveled or not, passed far enough as far as he's gone and that's where we get back into confusing time paradox shit it's a great confusing movie that is great and great to think about as long as you want to think about it
0: yeah i don't know it's it's uh fucking it blew me away like i was saying I, i identified hard with with my kid um and and so watching 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 him go through that journey. And and like you said, get to a point where you're older than, than his kid. Like, you know, from uh, like, from my perspective, I'm never, hopefully never going to like, see my child grow like super old. Right. Right. Um, or, or, or whatever it is, hopefully, you know, the, the, I die first, <laughs> I guess where I'm going with that. Uh, and, and to, to see that re- flipped and, and try and, you know, sort of connect and, and empathize with that is, is, uh, it, it it caused an existential crisis, I guess, that I can't say I've completely recovered from, even you know, however many years later.
1: And that I have never had because I have no children.
0: Well, no, you can still have an existential crisis. Justin has them all the time. Uh, it's, it's 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 a fantastic movie. I, it's uh, but part of what it, part of what makes this movie so so. I don't know. Terrifying is the, is the right word. It's, it's that it's, it's so it's set in such the, 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 the near future, um, that you could see it being a real possibility that this is a thing that happens. And, and, and knowing that without some sort of like, uh, intervention from our future selves, really there is no chance for our survival if we fuck up our food system. I, I don't know. If it comes comes to it, and our food system starts to collapse, that there will be pockets of humans that live and figure out how to, you know, live sustainably, um, and, and we can be interconnected and stuff. But I, I, you know, with through technology, but I don't know that uh, uh, I don't know. Part of the the problem in Interstellar is is monocropping, where every crop is a clone of 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 our. Uh, there's only there's only like one genetic strain of of corn being grown, so as soon as there's a blight and it affects that that strain of corn, you know the the just all the corn starts dying, and eventually all the corn will die, and that's uh, we're at that point with bananas right now, where there's a there's a fungus that is killing bananas, and soon enough we will not be able to have bananas that we know, and that sucks. The bananas that for those for every, for those that don't know the bananas that we eat today are not the same bananas that we ate at the turn of the nineteenth century, because those bananas all succumb to a fungus.
1: Yeah, the bananas we have now are like complete mutations, right?
0: Mm-hmm. And they're all they're all clones. They're all from one strain of banana, and uh, yeah, that's that's kind of t- whatever. Eventually, we'll transition to a new banana.
1: Um, but yeah. They also, like, uh, implied, like, animals are gone. Uh, in one scene where John Lithgow's like, popcorn is unnatural at a baseball game. I need a hot dog. Oh, yeah. And that implied to me that they ate all of the animals and that they'll, all they have left is corn, which is weird because later, as my wife pointed out, they have a souffle, which you need eggs for.
0: Maybe they were synthetic eggs maybe they're dried eggs but
1: let's move on to his latest greatest movie
0: Dunkirk um yep Dunkirk tells the story of the evacuation of Dunkirk when the allied uh, forces were being pushed back by the german forces uh in invading france in world war 2 um for me Dunkirk was a movie that i was looking forward to to uh very much um, the, the evacuation itself is not something that, that I, I heard in school. I don't know about you, but grow, but, but for me, Texas school in world war two, what we learned was stuff happened. The, the, you know, the Nazis were evil. We tried to stay out of it. Japan bombed us. And then we just kicked the shit out of everybody on D day. And we won like, that's, that's how world war II was taught more or less.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no. I mean there's a lot of stuff, uh, not to get too much into it, there's a lot of stuff that America leaves out of their own history across the board, not just talking
0: about World War Two. Well, yeah, no. There's a lot of stuff that happens. And it's it's told from very World War Two is told from a very American centric perspective, uh, which you know, isn't necessarily wrong or anything, but, but we miss out on the European perspective of the war which is significantly longer and, and more more detailed and more dire uh, it's kind of wrong yeah it is kind of wrong <laughs> um you know it's kind of selfish and wrong it is um but when I was in my mid-20s I read a book uh by by Connie Willis called blackout which tell it's a it's a story the current time in the story is the future um and they have these historians that they can send back in time and 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 it's a story of historians that are sent back to uh, to London during the Blitz, and 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 one of the characters takes p- p- uh, part in the Dunkirk evacuation, um, and so mm-hmm. that got me digging into it, and it's just, um, at the 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 level of, of 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 bravery and desperation to get these troops out of uh you know out of harm's way and get them back home, um, and just to see like all the civilians that came to the rescue and and and. And some of their boats were just commandeered without their knowledge uh, by navy, but there were civilians out there that were that were pulling troops home uh, that otherwise would have died. And it's it, I think it's a fantastic story to tell, and Christopher Nolan has done a great job of tackling it.
1: I mean, unrelated to this movie, if anyone isn't aware, there were portions of World War II where England was using like pots and pans and silverware to shoot out of their cannons because they didn't have artillery. So commandeering civilian boats was definitely part of, of that.
0: Yeah. To throw off um the, the German spy planes that were flying over, you know, over uh, the Island, they would, you know, have like blow up balloon tanks, uh, tank regiments, right. To, to try and confuse the the Germans of, sh- uh, of troop mo- movements. Uh, yep. You know, the things like that, where, uh you know in america to us world war 2 is this is this thing that happened in in a in a foreign land for the most part except for pearl harbor obviously um whereas for for uh england it, it, they were literally being bombed by german planes like german planes were flying over their country and bombing their biggest city um yeah so it's 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 a shame that that is left out of uh, of American education as much as it is. But you know, whatever. Uh,
1: I don't know if I would say it's a shame. I don't think it's it would be a good thing for us to be bombed, but it's definitely something that Americans have never experienced except for in. in-, in- movies.
0: Oh, yeah. No, I wasn't saying we should get bombed. I was saying we should get taught about <laughs> England being bombed. Yeah, I mean, we should be taught <laughs> about other
1: countries, but I don't think that's ever going to happen because we're assholes. But, uh, but
0: if you want to learn more about it, I, I really would recommend those books. Um, it, They're called Blackout and uh, All Clear uh, by Connie Willis. If you need a book to read during quarantine, check it out. Um, it, it'll give you a real good perspective of, of what life was like in, in blitzed England
1: from a film perspective Dunkirk is a is a complicated film as far as time signatures go which is on point for Christopher Nolan um because he uses the three different there's three different stories that are happening there's the story that's happening on Dunkirk on Dunkirk beach uh with the secret frenchman and uh Harry Styles mm-hmm. Um, There is the the, uh, Air Force, which is basically Tom Hardy and the two other guys. And then there is the uh, civilian rescue that's happening with the boats. And all of these things are happening in different time signatures, which are basically implied by the music that's happening. Um, I think my favorite story from this is... uh, (laughs) Uh, Christopher Nolan went to the composer for the movie and gave him a uh, pocket watch and basically said, make the music timed to the seconds, the second tick on the pocket watch. And that's what he did is all of the music is synced to the tick of a pocket watch. Hmm. And there's also another, I can't remember what it's called, but it's a specific time signature that uh layers two different s- two different uh, uh musical uh i can't i don't remember what it's called cause i didn't look it up before we did the show and i should have um uh, but it basically poly- puts two different time, sig- time signatures on top of each other that it makes it sound like it's always raising but never actually goes anywhere polyrhythmic poly- ca- yeah that thing and that's what causes the uh, constant tension during the entire movie is that happens during the entire thing. And is actually what I tried to create for our um, theme song for this show. Nice. There is a polyrhythmic uh, portion of our theme song that happens in, in the background behind the beat. I'm always happy when a writer-director kills people. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I don't think that happy endings should exist all the time, and I think the expectation that that you expect the happy ending to happen uh, is false. So you're so, I, so you're
0: saying that when George died, you cheered?
1: I didn't cheer. <laughs> I was disappointed because I liked him as a character, but I also was not disappointed in the sense that I didn't feel like. Uh, I I was happy about the reality of the situation. I was sad that he died, just like I would be sad that someone that I knew would die Um, and, and was glad that he's not just making a happy ending for the sake of having a happy ending. Yeah. Um,
0: And from my understanding, this was a real passion project of his, right, that he had been developing for...
1: Right. I mean, he was always, I think, from interviews I read that, interviews that I saw that he had always uh, wanted to make a movie about Dunkirk because there b- besides like documentaries there hasn't really been any, any light shed on it because World War 2 is um basically too overgrown with uh you know Midway and uh, Normandy and that kind of stuff um yeah. where the the evacuation of Dunkirk has been basically overshadowed but is still a uh, an important portion of history again practical effects um the city or or the town of dunkirk actually allowed them to do all this on the beaches um they filmed in the actual portions they actually built out the the dock that they were standing on mm-hmm. was a was a historical recreation of what the dock would have looked like back then And they even said that they had to recreate that dock basically weekly because the waves was destroying what was there. Wow. So they would have to go in there and recreate it, film really quick before the tide would come in, the tide would come in, destroy what they built. They'd have to recreate it and then film what they could um, as quickly as possible. So it definitely was a, uh, definitely was hard and like i said before they filmed it in imax for most of it as well and most of the cameramen had to actually stand in the water with the rigs for the cameras on their backs or on their shoulders uh it was not an easy easy filming process like most christopher nolan movies are not an easy (laughs) (laughs) process clearly um i think they used uh they used recreated or or planes that were from that era or that they could rebuild. Um, most of the boats that they used were rebuilt from that era. Um, I think the, if I remember right and I could be wrong, the medical ship was a recreation like digitally. Um,
0: but I might be wrong about that. Um, you want to talk about Tom Hardy's performance at all and his, his eyebrows? His eyebrows. I mean, like I said before, um, Christopher
1: Nolan has said that Tom Hardy acts more with his eyes than most actors act with the body. And that's why he cast him in this role and his Bane, where his face is mostly covered, but you can still read his eyes and read his eyebrows to see the reactions and the feelings that he's feeling. Um, while he's having them, and I think it's a. I also commend Tom Hardy for not being an actor that's like I have to have my face seen eighty percent of this movie or I'm not going to be in it.
0: Yeah, dude, Tom Hardy Cause... the actor seems like a chill dude, right? <laughs> like the
1: fact—I I, mean—that's my least favorite thing about superhero movies is like a, a an actor that's like oh, I can't wear a mask for eighty percent of the movie.
0: Okay, Wesley Snipes.
1: My face has to be shown the whole time. I have to have that exposure.
0: Yeah. Like, no, if you're good, and then you, not... you you know, people are going to gonna recognize that it through the mask. Right. But, you know. It, Deadpool. Yeah, Deadpool. Well, he had an emotive, an emotive mask, you know. I mean, I, I give Iron Man a little bit of credit, right? Like,
1: I don't know. I mean, Ryan Reynolds, when he didn't have the Deadpool mask on is wearing hundred percent makeup over his entire face. So technically you don't see his face that entire time in the second movie.
0: I mean it's true. I just his his <laughs> his uh his mask moves with like his eyes like look real, you know? Right. But you don't ever see Ryan Reynolds' actual face. Sure. But if you have if your eyebrows are twitching properly that we have clearly just demonstrated that you can read emotion off them, right? Right,
1: no, 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 whatever. Anyway, <laughs> Dunkirk, great movie. I I loved it from the moment I saw it. I know a lot of people have had issues watching it because of how stressful it is, and I feel like that was purposely done to show you how stressful war is and how not easy it is and how we shouldn't romanticize it with video games. And I don't know. It's a it's a very difficult and touchy subject and i feel like christopher nolan did it in a tasteful
0: uh respectful way yeah i agree with that i i would absolutely recommend watching it um and and that's that's the last movie we got uh we know that uh there's a movie coming out it's supposed to come out this year uh i i don't know if it's been pushed back i don't. don't i don't know what the current status of it is uh, called Tenet about a secret agent that is tasked with preventing World War 3 through time travel. That's all I know about it. I know that there was some uh, either a teaser trailer or something a couple months back that came out, but I haven't watched it.
1: It's It's gotta be good. Right? <laughs> I mean, he's never indicated by any of his previous movies besides the first one that it's gonna be bad, so.
0: Yeah. I- we can only hope good thing. <laughs> I would say as, as as a general final thought that like you know uh, Christopher Nolan movie is is, is a must must watch for me and it's and it's a must watch in the theater movie for me.
1: Hundred percent, agreed. Uh, like I said, top top three top four actors or actors directors <laughs> uh, for me. Um, yeah, I I think I I will watch all of his movies to come until he. Decides to not make good movies anymore, which hopefully that never happens.
0: Yeah, hopefully um, he he's on a good roll. We will be back uh, in a couple weeks with uh, with Coming to America, the 1988 Eddie Murphy classic. Um, that is the Pablo se- selection. It seems like it will be a nice uh, palate cleanser and a familiar thing that I like. I watched it growing up. Not for me. I've never seen it before. Oh, great! I'm excited, dude. Eddie, this it's a great movie. I, I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't know how it's aged. I haven't seen it in about 15 years, but oh my god, I loved it when I was a kid. We'll see how it goes. I'm not a huge Eddie Murphy fan, so well, that's fine. We just recorded an episode not too long ago where we just shat on an entire movie. So if you want to, if you want to shit on that movie, then you can be wrong.
1: All right. I can't wait to be a wrongo the whole episode. <laughs> Uh, it'll be fun. Um, but yeah, if you've listened to this whole episode,
0: thank you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> to our listeners, thank you for, for coming on this long, long journey with us. Um, we, uh, we strive to bring you extra content and this time we strived a little too hard. Um, we brought you so much extra content. Uh, so I, I, I hope you, you've enjoyed it. I hope you've been able to digest it and, uh, uh, we hope everybody's staying safe out there, uh, staying home, and and just writing writing this out. And uh, our our thoughts okay. go out to uh, everybody. And we hope. Uh, well, we'll t- take care of take yourself. Care of yourself, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thanks.
2: Bye. Bye.